Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to DM to GM, the game where we help you get started playing. I am your GM, Sean Howard from the End of Time and Other Bothers. And I'm your DM, Russ Moore from Dungeons and Dragons. And this week is a mailbag episode. Uh, where we're going to walk through a lot of the questions that you've sent in. If you haven't sent in a question, we'll give you an email somewhere at the end. It'll also be in the show notes. And you can join us on the Discord, which is super fun. That's also in the show notes. But let's work through the questions. What do we got as the first one, Russ? Let's do it. First question comes from at models on our Discord. How do you riff forward? That is riffing and moving things forward. Well, it's easier than riffing backwards. It is. It is. So by riffing, uh, we, we believe uh, at models means how do you kind of just come up with story beats, come up with ideas to keep the story moving and not just kind of get stagnant in a in a scene or in a moment um, and and just keep having fun. It is something that takes practice. I, f- oh, I don't know how to say I The basic one of the good things to think about is how do you apply pressure to a scene? How do you ratchet up the tension? It's not always needed. If your players are just in a bar and they're having fun and you're like, okay, this is starting to get a little old, um, you can just introduce an offer. And an offer would be like, oh, the someone the door bangs open and someone runs in with an arrow in their shoulder. I guess I'm ramping it up. I always ramp it up. That said, though, ramping up is is how you move things forward. It is. Depending on the severity of it, it doesn't always need to be, oh, there's a guy with an arrow through his eye socket. Um, oh, that's it, good. That's even better. You can hear a sound. You can hear- There's you, a guy without a leg and an arrow through his throat. It's not a tumor. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, and in the arrow is a piece of paper that has a note on it. <laughs> it's a love letter. It's a terrible way to get a love letter across. Um, but what we're trying to say is it, tension is good. It, yes. Depending on what kind of tension, uh, depending on the moment in the story, that will tell you what kind of tension you need to apply. Yes. And so apply some pressure and then ask the players, what do you do now? And it's that simple. We, we sometimes get caught up in wanting to come up with descriptions and whatever. We can literally be like, uh, there's an explosion that rocks the pub and the windows like cave in from it. And you can then just say, 
what do you do? And they're going to be like, I open the door. You know, like whatever they want to do, we've moved it up. There's now something to go and investigate. There's something that's happened. Um, and that asking them what they do is basically saying, what action are you taking now as a response? Um, and if they choose to just do nothing and go back to playing cards, you can take whatever just happened and continue to ratchet it up. Right. So uh, it smells like the roof's on fire and it's starting to get hard to see the cards and everyone's coughing. What do you do? Yeah, you just keep upping it until eventually, hopefully, they they take a hook. Um, and that's right. what you're that's what you as the game runner are trying to do is plant little hooks to keep them moving along the the pathway down the game. If you think about Monopoly, like you're moving a ground and the, the hook is the dice roll and then there you go. You just need to keep them moving around the board. So if they stop and they sit and they're having fun, it, that said, if they're having fun, keep having fun. Yeah. If it's getting tired, if it's getting slow. You can feel it at the table when people are losing interest. That's when you drop 100%. your explosion. That's when the guy runs in with the arrow. That's when the next story beat can happen for you. Yeah. That's when you notice the person you're playing against has a card up their sleeve. Um, and, you know, these, these ideas that we're coming up with. We're it's, riffing. It's, it's from experiences that we've had in the game. And like we said off the top, you're not going to get it all on the first one. Just try something. And here's a key thing on riffing. And I think this is sometimes a hard thing at first, maybe for some people. We don't know the answer. No. We don't. I have no idea really why there's an explosion. Part of my brain is saying, I'm going to have to figure out why there was an explosion. But in the moment, I'm just like, I don't know what to do next. There's an explosion. Whatever pops into my head, I do it. And I'm, I'm relying on our problem solving and story brains that we all have that it will connect the dots. I know my world. I know who the bad guy is. I know what he's done in the past. So I can just figure it out later. Or maybe this will be someone else or some other thing that's happening in the world. I don't know. I think, Russ, you're the same. Like, we don't always know what the reason is. We're just ratchet. We're just introducing something to ratchet up the tension. Yeah. And, and we'll put the pieces together as the party, depending on what the party does. And the more times that you can, you can you can do that piece, say there's the explosion and put it back on the players, the better time or the easier time you're going to have filling in the blanks because they're going to tell you, oh, I rush to the window to look or, oh, I go hide under a table or, oh, I go ask the bartender what he thinks about this. That gives you time to fill in another piece of the world as you've just dropped this bomb, maybe literally in the (laughs) middle of a town um, to say, okay, well, who is it? Why is it? And what is it? And then you can piece by piece fill it in as the players explore through the world that you're trying to create there. And sometimes the players will give it to you. They're going to be like, oh, that's Dr. Evil again. Right? And you can decide the moment, no, it's not. Or like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Now zip it, Scotty. (laughs) Cool. So that's basically it. Uh, It's just practice. Just have fun. But don't feel like you have to know the answer. Just have fun. Ratchet it up. And then remember, what do you do now? Just put it on the players. Just try something. Next question is from Kathy. Uh, Kathy says, uh, also on our Discord, thank you, Kathy, I have mostly GM'd my own homebrew worlds and started now GMing a Pathfinder Adventure Path module. I know at least Russ has DM'd a module and is now DMing a more homebrew campaign. Uh, That's true. How do you guys... Oh, yeah, Russ also ran a module with my table and then ran it again with his table. There's no sanctity. It was different. Left. It was different. <laughs> How do you guys, 
<laughs> how do you guys? Uh, how are you guys able to individualize the module to get your characters perfectly into the world? Maybe even get their background stories in there. Uh, because she admits that she feels a little restricted as a GM with the adventure path. Interesting. Russ, this one's you. Yeah, and this is exactly what Sean is complaining about right here that I did, <laughs> is I individualized the module for two separate you tables. You did. How do you do that? Ways you can do it are the characters that your players are going to build. Uh, with Sean's table, I had them all build characters mostly ahead of time. Yep. Mostly, um, mostly, but then Christy gave them the hook of what they're doing in the world and then let them tell me why they're there. Hmm. It gives them a little onus in the world. It gives them a little backstory that they can get into and gives them reasons why they would take the next hook that's going to come along. Uh, right. With, with my own table, we randomized characters in the moment. That and, was fun. And I didn't plan a different way on how the module was going to be run until they told me who their characters were. Interesting. Um, so they randomized characters. So they randomized race, class, and uh, I mean, we gave them a level. I think I gave them like level 12. Yeah. And they came up with themselves, Amy and Carla came up with the fact that, you know, one of them said they had, they just started describing their character, had high cheekbones and a nice cut jawline. And the, and then the other one said, yeah, mine too. And then they decided that they were on an audition in this little small town to be, to be the next top model of this, this city that they're in. So that was my new in. And then I can build this world around this little Hollywood in the middle of nowhere and now I've got to try and find a person or a thing to give the hook to go to the next thing, which on the paper is the exact same thing. But their reasoning for going there and the journey along the way that they take is now different because where Sean's table were adventurers in the traditional sense, the other two thought they were going on an audition. You can find both of these over on our Patreons, respectively. You can't. And they're both a lot of fun. Yep. Um, one table survives. That's all I'll say. Um, yep. <laughs> so interesting. So, okay. So you're using, in this case, you're using the module as, as sort of like the framework for what's like almost like a one-off. Like this is what they're going to do this session. Yes. But you're, the in into it is where you're letting the table explore and have fun. Yeah, and right? I think you're not just starting yeah. them in the module, you're starting them in their environment and having fun with how to then introduce them on this mission. Exactly. Well, that's it. Like the mission, like the same mission, like to Kathy's point, like question, like you could have the same mission for uh, a table that are 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 just here to be the best as it could be the same mission that then a group of adventurers or uh, a bunch of a goblin band of characters they all want to play. Like can be you could find a way that they all end up going to this cave for different reasons and 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 that's exactly it and the the story changes or the story becomes more individual and personal to the characters in their reasoning for getting there um so if you know that your characters are actors or whatever they're trying to make their big break then this is that way they're going to get there if you know that they're just out for blood because of something that these band of whatever's did that's the hook. It becomes a, you know, a vigilante justice kind of thing. I would be so tempted with the, the model one to have the big ring where everyone fights be like, be an actual show. 
Do you know what I mean? Like it's now. <laughs> that would have been better than what I did, but. But you can have fun with it, but you can have fun with it, right? Yeah. Like that's the cool thing. Once you have this new characters coming yeah. in, the module is just a framework for um, how much of that framework you stick with is up to you. Yeah, exactly. And along the way, you may find that things are working or things are not working. And if it's not working, skip to the next part. Like quickly wrap up whatever you're doing and move them along. A lot of modules have multiple steps along the way. You read through them, you have a base understanding of how everything's going to go. But if something is falling flat, like they're just not having fun trying to solve this puzzle, get the puzzle done. Like it's done. Whatever they do next, that solves it. And now they're in combat or now they're talking to the next NPC. Keep it driving um, and then tie it back into the hook that you gave them when they describe why they're in this world or just kill the party or just kill the party. <laughs> Always my favorite. Cool. Mine too. Uh, Canuck asks, I have a player playing. Oh, this is the D and D five E I think question. Yeah. Russ. So this is over to you. I have a player playing a paladin level one. Um, his alignment is chaotic neutral. How is it possible for a paladin to be chaotic neutral? Before you answer, I think the question is more, is not just about the rule. He says, my problem is that I've told all my players that I won't allow evil PCs. When he started taking goblins as slaves, I told him that in my mind, slavery is evil. He says to me, I'm not evil. I'm chaotic neutral and I can do evil and good. Any suggestions how to handle that? So, I mean, there's, there's two, two questions here, obviously. There's the, how does a paladin not be lawful good? And in mm-hmm. 5e, they changed it so that a paladin doesn't have to be devoted to a god, a lawful good god. Um, they can be devoted to anything. They could be devoted to a garbage can. And that's where they draw. I want to play that now. That's my new paladin. That's where they draw their powers from. So they've made it a little more open. But in that, the alignment scale can shift. Grouch the paladin. <laughs> Um, so chaotic neutral, even chaotic evil, lawful evil, any of the other side, um, can also have paladins and not even oathbreaker paladins. Like they can just swear an oath to an evil deity and now they're a paladin. That's the game mechanics and story that go into 5e. The problem here is the player and the players and the DM, Kanak, are not supposed to be playing evil PCs in this game. He just doesn't want it. It's one of the game rules. Um, But he's bending the chaotic neutral, which can skew sides, evil and good. That comes down to, I think, the conversation of what you're willing to do and what you're willing to experience at the table together. And goes back to our episode last week of Have a Session Zero and make sure it's clear. And if anybody steps outside of that, then take them aside and be like, look, this is what we said we wanted to do. We wanted to be good or, you know, neutral, but not do things that make other people uncomfortable, like slavery or any other terrible, vile thing that you can think of. And it's hard because as the game master or dungeon master at the table, you are responsible. You're in the seat. Everyone's going to turn and look at you in this situation in most cases um, to make a ruling. But you have to understand that there might be people at the table who are just as uncomfortable as Canuck clearly is or more so that aren't saying anything. So I actually like... 
I mean, Russ and I both have tables with a high level of trust. Yes. So my my first thing to say to Canuck is, if you are having trouble with trust, it may be worth thinking about who's at your table. Just saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, the game is way more fun when you all have a strong basis of trust and understanding. That said, we've all been in new games or new tables. And John, I can never pronounce his, Do you know how to pronounce his name? Stavro, Stavropoulos? Stravopoulos? Stravopoulos? I, uh, I can't pronounce his name. You've said it 18 different ways. Ugh. X card. Do you know how to pronounce? Anyways. Oh, hold on. X. Search for X card. We will link to it that John S. created. Beautiful person that he is. Stavropoulos, yeah. <laughs> Stavropoulos. Um, and the basic idea is to take a, a card, um, put it on the table in the center or somewhere prominent with an X in it. And all someone has to do in the game is reach for it and touch the card. And it's not the card that John introduced that's really useful. It's the rules for the card that you explained at the beginning. It's all written out. He's like, if anything happens, I need your help, basically. And if anything makes anyone uncomfortable in any way, just lift this card up or simply tap it. You don't have to explain why. And that's a critical part of this thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter why. When we lift or tap the card, that's it. Whatever which is happening is done. It's edited out. It's over. We don't go back to it. Um, if it's a, you know, we can, there's other issues around how you address it or take time if it's someone's triggered. But that idea of saying, having that at your table would allow you as a GM to be like, oh, this is getting, making me uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to tap the card. Um, sort of showing the table anyone can tap the card and be like, nope, this is not cool. I don't care what the rules say. Because that's the part of this question that drives me insane. Yeah. That someone is going to back up that you are feeling discomfort by saying the rules allow it. Bullshit. Yeah, it's not, it's, any of these games that we play are never about the rules. I mean, some, there are some players there who go out and min-max and try and do the best that they can. Um, But, Always it has to come back to, are we having fun? And is the person to your left having fun based on the decision you just made? And if they're not, then we have to reevaluate how we play the game so that the people we decide to sit down with feel comfortable and safe so that they come back next week. Because eventually, if this behavior continues with your table, you're going to start to lose the players that you don't want to lose. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Sean mentioned the X card. There are a few others and we'll link them down in the description for just safety tools at the table. X card is a really good one. There's like a red, red, yellow, green light, which is basically the same thing where you enter a scene where it could be not something that you're normally comfortable with. Mm -hmm. You as a player, the DMs looking at you describing this scene, describing this, uh, this gruesome murder that happened you as a player can raise your green card or green item saying i'm cool with this let's keep playing and keep doing it i know it could be construed as uncomfortable but i'm into it let's go it could go the other way where you raise a yellow card being like this isn't this is breaching on areas i don't want to get into the dm can then say okay well you see this and then just fade it into the background slowly and then there's the red card which is the x card which is hard stop cut to the next scene we're done with it we'll never talk about it again um so introducing those at your table can sometimes take a little bit of that guesswork away because no explanation is needed when that red card or x card comes up it's just this is not good i want out move along and everybody has to agree to that at the table love it uh, let's move on. Models asks, how do you plan distances on your maps in D&D 5e, uh, specifically in combat encounters? 
Um, basically, Models is struggling with designing for a one-shot, but not sure about scale, um, how many turns it would take to traverse for most characters. Um, um, yeah. I, I don't. I just don't. <laughs> I I don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, there's, there's two but, ways to deal with it. Either you're a battle maps and grids kind of player where mm-hmm. you have your minis out and you, you, know, you move five or six blocks and that's your full movement, um, each block being five feet and every player... Uh, every character except for halflings and dwarves get 30 feet. Halflings and dwarves get 25 feet. That's a one easy way to visualize movement within a combat or an encounter. Or you can do it like Sean and I do it where we roughly describe how far away it is. And then in our minds and in the player's minds say, is that reasonable for a player to be run there to run there in one turn? If the answer is no, if it's up and high in a tree, then it takes them two or three turns to get there. If it's on the ground, straight shot, all they got to do is just book it. Sure. Why not? It comes up more in D&D where it's turn-based and everything's trying to, yeah. you know, everything's like monsters move this distance. And and in 5e, like, you know, the monk and people, part of their bo- bonus is that they move more or yep. faster. or um, So it comes up there more. Yeah, and you don't want to take that away from those characters that sink abilities into being able to move faster. So, um, you know, when I say, would it be reasonable and do you just decide to do it? That goes to a point. And then you got to look at, again, who's at your table and what they're trying to get out of the game. If they're min-maxing a monk and they want to be able to move 120 feet in six seconds, then you need to make sure that that monk can for sure get to wherever they need to go before anybody else can get there. And in Powered by the Apocalypse, we run into this less. Because Powered by the Apocalypse games generally don't have this turn-based structure. Um, Everything can be happening in different time chunks. Um, And it takes a little getting used to, but I can have someone say, I'm running all the way around all the fighting where it's safe. And in my head, I'm like, all right, it's going to take, I don't know, a couple minutes. And then everyone, someone else is like, I'm leaping on the guy. And I'm like, well, that happens now. And someone else um, is, you know, trying to open the chest that might take a little longer. And it's just all happening at once. And my, our job as a GM is just to up the ante. Like the person running around uh, trips and suddenly some goblins run out of a door right near them. And, you know, the chest fires a trap. Like you can just keep it all going and it can be very immersive. And if someone runs really fast, they can have a lot of fun with it. They can be like the the last person who's the min-maxed monk or whatever can like run in, leap over tables, go off the thing get up to the upstairs before they've even opened the chest. Yeah. Um, so you could, you can find other ways in other systems. Um, so yeah, again, who's at your table? What are they trying to get out of it? And then that'll help you decide, do I have to put down a battle map or can I just, can we just talk it out and figure it out together as we play? I haven't put down a battle map in so long. We should do a game where we do a battle map just to do it. They're, they're, they're fun when you get into it. Like, yeah, yeah, they are. I've done a long time. Um, and just when you got it planned, we won't go to it. Last question. Kathy over on our Discord, she asks, how do you move things forward without railroading when your players are just content with sitting in a tavern the whole time? It comes back to what we just talked about there is applying pressure and are they having fun? One answer is do nothing. If they're having fun sitting in a tavern, let them sit in a tavern. If they're not sitting in a tavern and are not having fun, it goes back to the session zero. What are they playing the game for? Um, but also apply pressure. Yep. Burn down the tavern, Kathy. <laughs> yeah, just do it. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about ways. Let's just really quickly riff on a bunch of different approaches. They're having fun. They're in a tavern. There's drinking. There's music. And it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of intrigue or whatever going on. Character things between characters. A big burly half-orc comes stumbling across. He's had a few too many. He trips over the table and says, Oh, there, you got in my way. And then takes a swing at your biggest character. What do you do? The the maitre d' of the tavern <laughs> comes screaming out of the kitchen and you hear the sounds of clashing swords in the kitchen. And she's begging for your help. What do you do? You hear a sound coming from outside. <laughs> you have a moment to hear this whistling. What do you do? There's a strange thing thumping sound you hear every once in a while and you go back to talking and the music and then you hear it again and it's getting more insistent and you suddenly look down and realize there's an outline of a trap door and it's shaking with every thunk what do you do a small child steps up on stage dressed in dark robes they turn around they have glassy eyes and start singing mary had a little lamb what do you do <laughs> love it there you go so just apply pressure see what your pay- people then do you can do all those things you can try sure. them all until you find one that works all right russ this one is for you this one was written for you i think so models ask for my upcoming campaign i've been planning a magic maze yeah you have <laughs> The idea is that this mad artificer is running an involuntary fight club in the basement. Sure. The main floor is going to have a magic maze. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a lot here. The magic maze works. Every turn you make, you roll a D4. You have one one out of four chances of actually going down the hallway. You want to head down. Since there are people that work in this place, I was thinking of setting it up so they can get a guide stone off one of the employees. The thing I'm trying to figure out how to map the maze, or should I instead set up almost a flow chart of hallways, rooms where they just keep coming to signs? Okay, so the thing with mazes, you have a lot of mechanics here going on, which is great. Um, The thing with mazes is you don't want to be too structured in them. Why, Russ? Because um, either one, your players will be too good and they'll just get through them so quickly and then it'll be over and all your hard work is flushed down the toilet. Or two, your players don't know what they're doing. They get stuck in there and now they live in the maze. More likely Uh, the second one in my experience. So there literally are moments that happen at a table. I've been there. Uh, Egerton has talked about it, Michael, where they were just so fed up at this tavern that I kept upping the ante and they didn't know what to do. And they literally, because they couldn't figure out a solution. They were, they felt trapped. Like, like in a maze, in a maze. Yeah. And they literally all sat back at the table and they're like, Sean, we're done. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I've gone too far. Like, yeah, it can happen. Yep. Um, so uh, what I like to do is y- y- you got to have an idea of how your maze is going to be. So you're going to have your hallways, your rooms, your whatever. Have a list of what's in those, what could be in those rooms. It could be a, you know, a percentile roll list. It could be whatever. Wherever they go is a trigger for what happens. So then you roll on your sheet, that thing happens. If you notice that whatever they're doing, they're getting stuck or frustrated, have an out for them. Get them out of there so that they don't live in the maze and then never want to come back to the table. Yep. That next choice, they found the exit. Yeah. 
maybe they're not going to care. They've they found the exit, but the artificer is there. So you've upped the the Ooh, pressure. That's good. But they figured out who's there, why they're there. Now the the yeah. artificer can do his big long speech about what's going on in this maze. And they can get out if they defeat this artificer. So they see the light at the end of the tunnel. If they ever lose that light at the end of the tunnel, you're going to lose them in a maze. Yeah. Again, this comes back to a common thing we're, we're saying in different formats. Don't get too attached to the mechanisms of the game. Yeah. Don't get too attached to your intricacies of your idea. Um, it's You got to remember it's about the fun at the table at the end. Yeah. So have fun with your magic maze. Let us Let us know how it goes. And if I can, if I can run it. And don't do mazes. Uh, this message was approved by Tom. Don't do mazes. Yep. How do you enjoy the game? This one also from Models. How do you enjoy the game as a DM or GM? And they mean, how do you get out of your own head enough to enjoy the moment? Or does that just come with time? I think thinking about this from someone who's just started playing, um, there's a lot of pressure on your first, cu- first game for sure. Yeah. First couple games. Um, you're putting in a lot of planning. You're nervous about if people are going to be having fun at the table. Sometimes you're starting a new table with people that aren't even sure if they like D&D yet. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of pressure that I think will take anyone out of the game. It's hard for me when I'm playing. Like I went to a conference and played at a table. I didn't know anyone. And that's hard. Um, right? It's different. There's, there's like mostly if you feel responsible for everyone there having fun. Yeah. It, yes, it's going to come down to time. But again, it's not taking on so much of the responsibility for absolutely everyone's fun. Because you are playing the game just like they are playing the game. So have that session zero. Have that first moment to figure out what y- even what you want to get out of the game. Like, what do you want to run for them? What do they want to have run for them? And what do they find interesting? That will help take some of the pressure off and put some of the onus back on everybody at the table to make sure that it's known. And most players that I've run into and talked to know that it's not the DM's or the GM's job to make sure that they're having fun. They need to take ownership of that. And if they're not having fun, then talk to the DM or GM and be like, hey, I noticed we didn't get to, to fight very many monsters this time. Maybe we could do that a little more next time. Um, and then that gives you an idea of how to plan your sessions to make sure that you are doing the things and the pieces um, that are going to promote a fun and healthy table. Yeah. And I think also it's worth investigating some of these newer game formats like Power by the Apocalypse or others where they they almost they incorporate a, a, a table, a, you know, an episode zero, a table zero um in the structure of setting up your first session. Like you actually build the characters right there at the table. Everyone can pick. They can quickly answer the five choices on their sheet that's all there. And then it often walks you through the first four questions to build the world together where everyone does it together. Fate does this. uh, A lot of Power by the Apocalypse. And I think it can be a really freeing thing as a new GM because there's not as many rules to learn and you all build it together and you get a lot of input and ideas and you get to sense the excitement. Um, I don't know. That's another way of just addressing it where it just sets the, it sets the playing field yeah. for everyone. Um, I think we're kind of burying it in the middle here, but we've talked a lot about session zeros and setting up games. Let us know by sending us an email or on Discord if you think us doing an episode 
um, where we do a session zero. Oh, that's a good. Would idea. be helpful. We um, I mean, we've talked about it a, a fair amount in this episode and in past episodes, but to for Sean and I to sit down with maybe a couple other people and plan out a session zero world build. It's your turn to GM. I want to be Grouch the Paladin. Well, don't do it now. We have to save it. Save it for the episode. All right, but I'm saying you're going to GM it. Okay, if you put it down there, um, Russ is going to DM it, and I'm going to play Grouch the Paladin. Perfect. And we'll do a session zero. So yeah, we'll do a full session zero, and maybe even a session one after that, just to kind of show what we took out of that session zero. Nice. Yeah. Like I said, let us know if you think that would be helpful for you, either on Discord or uh, DM to GMcast at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, all the links are down in the description. Um, and if you have any other questions, any questions at all, send them to us. Any. And how do they do that? The things that I just said. Oh, damn. I wasn't listening. God, you never listen to me. I'm sorry. We should have a session zero. All right. Let's do that. All right. Send us your <laughs> questions and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, everybody. Bye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Oh, Martha, look, the new season is coming. Get the snacks ready. Okay, okay. In a dangerous new world. While we can see the helicopters coming in, it looks like the teams are arriving for this season of Soul Survivor. Live action role players will fight. I'm Sequoia. Just go. I'm Myrna. Grand chicken in. We agreed to just call me Sky. Name's Dale. I'm Cole. Hannah. To Bill. Grab okay, get feathers. I need the we feathers for my arrows. Sequoia, maybe you need to grab some things. To outsmart. <gasps> oh my god. Wow. Well, look for us. Not again. To survive. No, don't, no, no. Facing Fate, Black Knight, available at FacingFate.com and on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts beginning June 14th. I don't know if I want to live anymore. I just want it to end. A Dumb Dragons production.